Hello, this is George Jardine from Adobe Systems. This is one of two podcasts recorded on Friday, May 5th, 2006 at the Santa Fe Workshops with Michael Clark and Nevada Weir. This is an enhanced podcast, which means that I've included Michael and Nevada's photographs in the production. The photographs can be viewed while listening to the podcast using iTunes on your computer or on a photo iPod or video iPod. If your iPod does not have a screen capable of displaying the photos, then you will only get the audio. Thanks very much, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello folks. We're back here in Santa Fe, New Mexico with Nevada Weir at the Santa Fe Workshops. Very glad to be here with Nevada at the, is this the first Santa Fe Digital Workflow Intensive it Workshop? It is the first one. That's great. So filled the class with 40-plus uh, students. It's full to capacity. And we're going to be looking at some of Nevada's pictures here and discussing them. So uh, just to kick things off, though, tell me just a little bit about how you got involved with photography. What inspired you to first pick up a camera? Well, actually, I didn't start photographing until after college. I started with a view camera. And no I was now, I, I did, but I realized it was a very bad backpacking camera. And my brother sent me a Pentax Spotmatic from over in Europe. And when I went out on my outdoor trips, I would always have a camera with me. The Outward Bound School asked me to go over to Nepal to run their program, and that's how I got involved with traveling internationally. And so I would segue my own photographic trips onto trips I was guiding until eventually I kind of moved out of the guiding part of my life and more into assignment photography that dealt primarily with international travel and primarily photographing indigenous cultures in these remote locations, and I felt comfortable because of all my background in the outdoors. That's great. Actually, uh, Pentax Spotmatic was my very first SLR, oh, too. Oh, rugged what camera. A I couldn't hurt that one. I loved it. What a great time that was. Okay, so we've got some pictures here. This is an interesting image. Um, what can you tell me about it? Well, this was taken on a, 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 an expedition I did up in Makalu, which is the fifth highest mountain in Nepal. And I had been up in the mountains for about a month. I was on my way down. All I could think about was food, you know, trying to get to Kathmandu, going to eat something, whatever. And I was geared in toward the airplane. And there was a, people coming up from this market, and it was beautiful and misty, but I wasn't thinking about that. The cameras were on my back. And suddenly, I looked, I really saw, and I went, you know, this is the most stunning imagery I've seen in the entire trip. I had to run back up the hill, get out my cameras. I had to overcome this inertia problem a lot of times we all have of, ah, let it go. Went back up. And this picture was when I came back home and looked at it. It was the first image where I went, I can do this. I can photograph. This is what I want. I want a more evocative. I want to photograph how I feel. I want to give a sense of place that not only is just visual, but also might evoke other senses, a feeling of mm. aloneness or smell or something. Because photography can say so much more than you know just a documentation of a place. Mm -hmm. It certainly seems to capture the solitude of that particular hiker's right. and, space. Right, and uh, it spurred me on to kind of go, okay, I can, I can um, handle this type of imagery, and, and, and I began to become more experimental, and to try not only to photograph just as I saw, but what can a camera do? What, what are the limitations of a camera? What are the properties of a lens that will give me something different? So, well, let's move on to a different image. For example, here is a one that I took a couple of years ago in Myanmar, and 
certainly this is not exactly what I saw, but I'm util I'm very slow uh, shutter speed here, mm -hmm. and I'm working with a, a flash that's on the camera that has a colored gel. And with the slow shutter speed, you can actually see the boat through this person on the mm -hmm. left-hand side mm -hmm. because they're walking out of the frame. There's a little bit of motion. But the flash is illuminating the subject and giving the illusion of uh, sharpness within a blur. Mm -hmm. And so I like these more complicated images now that give the sense of place, but also are a little bit of a, a surprise. Mm. Very lively, great, great emotion in that picture. So what, where does the water start there? I don't quite oh, see right, where the... Oh, it's right here by, by this boat back here. You can just something. see it. It's, yeah, it's 5.30 in the morning, and so people are getting ready to get onto this ferry. Wow, great shot. Mm-hmm. And so I would just take an overall light reading, and then I adjusted my flash accordingly to illuminate uh, the people that were walking through at a very slow shutter speed. And a lot of it is I have no idea what I'm going to get exactly until I'm, I'm back at, at the computer or the editing table. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, you got to try. If you don't try, you don't get. That's my, my whole feeling. Actually, Myanmar was one of my favorite places to photograph. I've been going there for 20 years. It's just absolutely um, stunning. A difficult government, but the people are really spectacular. And the light is spectacular. And uh, here's another image that I like very much, too, because it's just a slice of a feeling. Yes, it is a, an image of a foot, but what does that really mean? It, it sort of, you don't see the person's face, but you get the feeling of, of kind of walking through time, in a sense, because of the reflection. Well, it's uh, a very dreamlike image for me. It has a great mystical quality because the, the light on the temple is reflected in the tiles and just feels very almost surreal yeah, I was very dreamlike I was walking by this place and I saw the reflection and I had to stand there a long time as different people walk through and I had patience is a big part I'm not a landscape photographer even photographing people I have to react quickly when I see it but sometimes I have to stand around a long time until I get the mood or the expression or the gesture that I want so you knew you wanted to get a picture of the reflection here, but you but waited I, for the right moment. Right, and I didn't know exactly what kind of person, but when I saw this, I, and, I, and I believe in you know, really staying with a situation and photographing quite a bit because I get an idea, but sometimes you know, maybe the foot would be off and when I actually looked at the image. And this is where digital photography is great because I can double check. Mm -hmm. you know, that I got it. Although I don't look at the back of my camera that much. Usually if I do, I'm looking at the histogram. But occasionally I will uh, check to make sure I don't have to stay for another five hours. But also that can be a problem because you can't see the image all that well in that small little LCD. So you got to be careful of that also. It's really a great shot. Now, how many of these were shot on film versus digital? A lot of these were uh, shot on film and scanned and brought into um, my digital programs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to mm -hmm. show you a few more later on that were primarily digital. The high contrast, I think, is very difficult to photograph. Mm -hmm. We do better photographing in low contrast situations, or at least I do. But when I find a high contrast situation that's got real power... Very graphic. I, I go for it, you know, as best as I can. But it is more difficult to be able to manage that that light and dark. And these, and then I've got these elements of these monks. And for me, the punctuation, the the kind of the spot of of enjoyment is that red. It's not just a black and white image. You know mm. that I'm using color mm. in the image. And without that, I don't think the picture would be as compelling as it is. Now, is this uh, right in downtown Rangoon? This is actually in a place called Bagan. 
because yeah. I have an I have a shot from Rangoon that looks very similar. It's, I'm sure it's well. There's a lot of monks all, all, all. No, no, no. Over. It's the columns. It's the columns. <laughs> okay, and you know this was uh, taken on a trip I did in Guizhou, China, with mm. the Hmong people. These are called the Longhorn Meows, and their hair is is wrapped up. It used to be in the old days. This used to be real hair, but now it's yarn. It's for a festival. Of young girls who are um, looking beautiful to be married. And I was at, I've spent quite a bit of time in this part of the world. I, I really love the Hmong people. And at this festival, I saw this woman walking away and I followed her because photography can be a very passive thing where you kind of stand there, wait for something to come by, click, da da da. But I believe in being more actively involved and following a situation or running forward in some cases. Sometimes the world just, you know, gifts me with an image. But here, I w actually walked after this young woman and photographed her as she was going down the trail. You don't have to see a person's face to have a, no, a portrait all. of someone. This is more of an environmental portrait. And, of course, you're very curious about who she is. Mm. But it's great, too, because the colorful clothing and the fastidiousness of the hairdo and everything are in stark contrast to the muddy trail she's running down. That's right. And, but without this kind of flip of, the, of her costume and the sense of the motion, there is a little bit of a blur in there, and that adds the interest. And a lot of times we always try to stop the action in uh, pictures, but I like to work with the slower shutter speed so I do get a little bit of a blur, sometimes without a flash like here or like the other image that I showed you that was an extreme blur with, with an illuminated flash. And I, I try to keep my gear very simple because I'm, I'm carrying uh, the, this camera gear around with me all the time. And here I am in Tibet. And well, especially when you're at a place where it's been photographed quite a bit, like the Patala Palace, it's not enough just to photograph. So I had to, I really looked around going, okay, I'm going to find an uh, image of the Patala that's all my own. This is a, a digital shot that I, I took recently. And so I um, talked, I found a monk who was a monastery, was further up the hill, and I met him, and I asked him if I could come in and, you know, made my introduction. He let me come in early in the morning, and I you know, decided whether it was going to be a morning or an afternoon shot. And I went back a number of times. And this was the image that I liked the best with the incense flowing mm. up from his windowsill. Mm -hmm. which Fabulous. Is a different Quality. viewpoint on the Patala Palace. But when you do go travel to places that are very iconic, the Eiffel Tower or, I mean, I'm showing you very exotic images, but what I'm talking about is true for your backyard. I mean, mm -hmm. I live in Santa Fe, which is supposedly extremely exotic for America, although once you live in some place, it all, I mean, what what is the exotic? It's anywhere outside your, you know, terra incognito. Sure. Any place is different for you. And so for me, you know, I have to really push my boundaries sometimes to find places that, that fit into that word. So it sounds like you believe in the concept of fresh eyes. I do believe in the concept of fresh eyes. And um, also, I think people, a lot of times, they, people will resonate to my images because they are, you know, very interesting places in the world. But really what I'm trying to do is photograph in a way that if, as if I was walking into, here's a group of monks, but this could easily be, you know, a church congregation in America. I'm trying to 
you know, create something extraordinary mm. within even a very average moment. For these monks, this is a very average moment. They do this every single day. For me, it's very unusual. But I had to walk around. I, I like natural light. I couldn't light up this monastery. This is a digital photograph also. I don't like to go to high ISOs unless I really have to. So I found a place that had the most light. And then I just sat down. And, of course, I asked permission um, they were quite fine with it. I'm very aware of people when if, if I'm going to be annoying. I believe in, you know, curiosity is a great thing, and it can lead me into places, and I wait for someone to say I can't do it. And mm. I'm very polite about it, but I don't make assumptions I can't until I know that for sure, you know, and that's the beauty of travel. So I found the place with the best light, and I sat there, and I waited, and I waited, because I was at a rather slow shutter speed, so I had to find the right moment where I wasn't getting too much blur in the monks as they were chanting. But for them, this is an everyday event. In this image, this is another festival. This is in Ladakh, India, one of my favorite places. I just got back from there last month. I'm working on a book project. It's on the very western edge of the Tibetan plateau. Um, politically, it's, to, it's uh, India. Geographically, mm -hmm. it's Tibet. But I, I'm in the state of northwestern India, up near the Pakistani border. Very beautiful Tibetan people. And at this festival, I ran into some problems because there were a lot of people who looked just like me underneath the awning, and mm. I could see them. So I thought, okay, there's a problem. What can I do to solve it? So I got down really low, and I turned this into a more high-contrast image. I took a light reading off of the sky, and I had a flash on. A little bit, you know, this is a fisheye. It's got that mm -hmm. kind of circular, it's a 15-millimeter fisheye. And I turned the flash toward the monks, figured out the brightness that I wanted, took a light reading off the sky, and then waited for the dancer to whirl around towards me so that I could eliminate um, the problems, which were the people, the tourists. And I wanted to be, of course, don't we all, to sort of, you know, just eliminate the uh, things that bother us and just have highlighted what really is evocative about an image. It's fascinating, the light on the monks and not on the dancer, but you have a great silhouette of the dancer, so it works in that way. It works, and I had to do, again, quite a bit to get this image. And I don't crop my images, and I don't do a lot of Photoshop work. I don't change anything, because I do work as a photojournalist, so I don't really want it. It's not that I have anything really ethically against it, but it's really not to my advantage to um, do too much manipulation. I just do uh, darkroom work. I work a lot with the color of available light. Mm -hmm. And this is actually, this is in um, Dubai, and there's a big incandescent light behind this camel's head. Mm -hmm. So I saw this guy. How many places in the world can you go to where you, you're eating dinner? I was in this tent, and I see a camel walk by. And I remember going, <laughs> running out, going, stop, stop. And I made him stop, went back and got my camera bag. And I had a little bit of a gel over my flash, a little amber gel. But I love this was the color of the light. I haven't mm. really changed it at all because it was this incandescent light, which is inherently yellow, was diffusing through the fog. And I just, I, I love this, this scene right here uh, of using artificial lights in my, in my images. So is it, is it a night shot? Or it's a night it? shot. Okay. It's a night shot, but there's a big, big light behind this camel's head. And light from the right coming from? Um, it's just all being diffused. It's just such a bright light. But I do have a little bit of a flash. You can see it on oh, the camel's yeah. face. It's helping lighten up the front part of the camels because you know that black, the, the light in back of the camels is really blaring. Very nice. 
I mean, available light is really the best. I mean, Always, when you get yeah. beautiful, beautiful light. And when I'm traveling, I get so tired. I'm out early in the morning till late in the evening. And sometimes I was here in Uzbekistan, and I remember at this market going, I am so tired. I just wanted to leave. I, it was a pretty crummy hotel where I was staying, too. But I still wanted to leave, and I made myself overcome this inertia and stay there. And I saw this beautiful light in the market. I just sat, relaxed, and I took a light reading off of some other people that were going through, and I just waited. And sometimes the world blesses you, and sometimes it doesn't. There's just one possibility of getting this image because... Really, even with the motor drive, I couldn't have. She would have walked out of the light. So mm -hmm. I was, I was ready for her. And it's like the Madonna, you know, cr mm. cradling her melon. And she, after I clicked, she heard me. And I'm very, very aware of people. And so as soon as she saw me, the camera goes down, and I looked at her, and I went over, and um, now with digital, I could actually show her the picture. Here, this was film. And that's the beauty of traveling with a digital camera because now I can photograph and I show people. They're not so much interested in physically having the picture. They just love to see what I'm photographing, particularly because I do a lot of wide-angle uh, shooting where it looks like I'm like photographing someone's fingernail. Right. And then they see the image. They go, oh, you've got three people in this picture. So I do really love that. So now I'm going to show you some images from a project I did last year in Burma, in Myanmar, down in the very southern tip in the uh, Magwe, or Mergu, some people say, but the correct pronunciation is Magwe um, Archipelago. And I was went there to photograph the sea gypsies. I'm working on a book on this beautiful country, and I was was there for a month, um, and I had we had our own boat, and we you know, finding these, these colonies of very indigenous uh, clans of people that live 100% or let's say 95% this day and age, uh, you know, off the, off the sea. So this one clan I visited uh, actually a couple of times and right here they're, you know, getting ready to hunt for fish. And I had two different cameras with me. One was my regular above the water camera of my 1DS Mark II, and then underwater, I had a little compact camera, which I'll show you some images. So I'm, here I'm photographing from the top of a boat, so that's why I was able to get that viewpoint looking down and get that moment of action. But here, this is wonderful. I had a little compact G6, just point-and-shoot type camera. The problem with the compact cameras is you get this, what I call the indecisive moment. You, <laughs> click, on the, you click on the shutter, and you wait, and then the, finally... The picture is taken, and it was inside a. Um, uh, it was inside an Iwa Marine housing, which is a. I wouldn't say a, a plastic bag, but it's not a rigid housing. So, consider this f camera did remarkably well mm. underwater, mm -hmm. and so I was swimming. I was not uh, scuba diving. I was also free diving with them, was snorkeling and just swimming with them as they were diving for pearls and fishing and and so forth. And I really, really enjoyed. But I really didn't know how much I was getting until I got back. And I was so pleased that mm. with this indecisive moment, I was actually able to get some of the shots I did. I got very good at keeping my finger halfway down on the shutter and waiting and waiting and waiting and then clicking and hoping that I got the moment when I did. This was very new for me. It's the first time I'd ever photographed underwater. Wow, beautiful yeah, thing. Beautiful fish. When the way the light is radiating through the back of it. Mm -hmm. And I like it because you can't see his face. Of course, fish face. But really, the pictures that I love are the softer, moodier, evocative ones. And 
I stood out in the water and waited. When the light's beautiful, particularly in the tropics, you got to move fast because the sun goes down really, really fast. But that's not the time to leave. After the sun goes down, that's when I stay. I get this beautiful soft light, and I just stood out in the water and photographed people as they were going back and forth because they live on little boats. Um, the family of nine people can live on one little boat. Wow. Sometimes they have houses on the, the land, especially during the monsoon season, but most of the time they're living on the boat. So she's transferring some supplies onto her boat, and I would just stand there and wait. And I just love this type of photography because I've put myself in a position to get a great shot, but I'm not going to know what that is until the moment appears before me. And so I just have to be ready. And that's where, of course, it's really helpful to be very, very comfortable with my gear and my lenses and my camera so that when the moment does appear, I'm not fumbling. You know, I mean, there's billions and billions and billions of great images out there, but we're going to lose 90% of those great shots anyway because there are going to be legitimate reasons why we'll never get them. We're driving by in a car. So we got 10% possibility here. And within that 10%, you're still going to make a lot of mistakes. And so um, I practice and I photograph as much as possible to eliminate as many of those mistakes as possible. And, you know, for me, photographing people is my great joy. Mm. And I don't speak all the different languages. I certainly didn't speak Moken, their language. But a lot of it is just facial expressions i enjoy myself and i just i just love the interaction that to me is what travel is all about i love photography it's a merging of the two but photography is a way for me to come in closer it's a reason i'm there and because i like working with a wide angle then i really have a reason to come in close to fill the frame with mm -hmm. with the entire emotion Oh, creates a very intimate moment there with the smoke. That's right, but they cooking. wouldn't tolerate me unless they liked me. Unless there's no way I don't. Of course, I will use a telephoto lens once in a while for a creative purpose. But I am more comfortable if people see me as a person. I see them as a person, and then I sit there and I stay there as long as I can, so I can get what I call the intimate moment, where the image is not about the relationship between me. And the people, it's about what they're doing. It's mm -hmm. their moment. Mm -hmm. We've already established our relationship, okay? And then if I feel that it's enough and I should leave, you know, I, I will leave. But I don't make that decision for me in my mind. I don't go, okay, that's enough. I really stay there until it's very clear that, okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll be back <laughs> at another time. But and and you know, people I find people like to be photographed. I mean, I like to be photographed. I just like to be a, approached in a very respectful, polite, fun way. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind it at all. So and my experience is is that that's true for most everybody um, in the world. But this little underwater camera that I had and the way I, you know, sometimes is able to use the above surface and un, you know, under the water because for the sea gypsies, it wouldn't have been complete without seeing their life underwater because they're practically amphibious. Beautiful people. Absolutely beautiful. How far along are you with the book? Oh, I have a few more cultures that I need to go visit. I'm going to be going up to the Nagas later this uh, winter and the Kaya people, the ones that wear the the rings around their necks. I'll be photographing them also in a few months. So I'm prolonging this project for a while because Burma is very, very rich in ethnic cultures. Mm, fabulous image. 
now this image back to Burra. I've shown you a lot uh, of images, but again, it's these are recent uh, images that I've been working on the last couple of years and. Photographing in the low light. When I was driving, I was driving through to a village, and it was so dark. So one's first inclination is there's no light, and that's when I go, well, maybe not enough light for my eyes to see very well. But I know if I can leave that shutter open long enough, it's going to render light on that sensor. So I went out, and first I tried with the flash, but it looked so artificial. So what I did was I just metered right off of the firelight. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, in the area. And then I waited till she was lifting. She's threshing. So I waited till she was lifting her wands, and there was a bit of a pause, and that's when I would take the picture. So there wouldn't be too much blur in the image. you know. And it just has that very, very low light, probably ISO uh, 400. Do you have a name for this picture? No, I don't. I don't name. I don't. Woman threshing, low light, driving by. Thought I couldn't do it, but there. Looks as if she's playing, playing the flames. <laughs> yeah, it does a little bit. This is a mm. an Aka woman, who this was interesting because very. I was hand holding this, at least a half a second, if not a second. You know, if you don't try, you don't get. Luckily, what happened was, you'll notice, see the little streaks that are going across her face? Mm -hmm. I realized that probably I was having some camera motion at that slow shutter speed. She probably moved at the same, we both moved together. So there's actually an inadvertent pan going on in this image that with a, with a little bit of flash, too. Just a hint, a kiss of light where it doesn't dominate the image, but just enough where it kind of add some reflection to the headdress, remarkable headdress that she's wearing. And just this accident of a subtle pan, you know, was able to, when I looked at the light table, a lot of times I'm looking at my images and I go, bad, bad, bad. Because I'm trying, I'm experimenting, I'm working with these blurs, I'm working with motion, and then I get to one, I go, it works. Hmm. The rest, we throw them out, but that one works. So I think it's fine to go for the ones that are obvious. Those are nice insurance shots. But I'm looking to expand a photographic vision beyond the obvious, into these the edge of light, into the edge of scene, and in, in the way to the edge of my imagination. Because intuition and imagination are such a big part of photography. And it's important to know the technical and the camera, but it's equally as important to let this kind of creative well that I think sometimes stays suppressed. I All of us have it. All of us have the ability to be creative. It's just a matter of just kind of letting it go. And that's what I love about photography. And, I, and that's why I love about photographing at these odd hours of the evening and photographing with people because you don't know you know, what the interaction is going to be like. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And I want to be ready for it. And I want to try to photograph it in a way that is different from me. Maybe, you know, I'm, I basically what matters is if, is if I like my images or let's say you're photographing. What really matters is if you like your images. Sure. Of course, as a professional, I want the editors and people who read the magazines to like my pictures too. But primarily, it's for me. And I'm the one who... You know, it matters. But it's also important to understand why. Why do I like it? Why do I like the composition? You know, so if I go and I'm looking in a museum at somebody else's images, I don't just say, oh, nice picture. I was like, that's really intriguing. I wonder why. And that helps me with my images, too. It helps mm. me move past the more mundane, banal situations. 
I find this, this one fascinating, not only because of the streaking light, which obviously adds to it and works compositionally, but the light in her eyes is also very striking. There's a, you're not sure if she's, you know, exactly what emotion she's having, but it's clear that she's having a, a moment. And it's very internal, because she has a very neutral expression on her face. And you're right, but the emotion is very internal. Um, and the light uh, in her eyes is a, is a little bit from my flash, but I, it's, a mu it's like she's musing. Mm. And I like that feeling quite a bit. Again, she's not looking at me. Right. And there are very few images that w that I really like that where someone is looking directly at me. It has to be very, very spectacular for that to be um, something that appeals to me. Any other uh, special images here for you? Um, this one I like also because it's, again, it's another one of those images. I remember I was with somebody who said, it's too dark to photograph. I said... Mm. No. I said, no, it's not. Just try. I threw out every single image on this roll, except for this one. And I, I love this image. It also has a little bit of a flash to it, but it is so dark out right now. I can mm. barely see. But it was just one of those. But if I didn't try, the entire roll, 35 other pictures went. But again, this is film, and uh, this one stayed. Mm. Well, well worth it if you get one shot on a roll. Mm, I think so. I, I think that's definitely well worth it. And here, for example, I, I like working with all the different qualities of artificial light because we've got candlelight here. We've got the beautiful late evening light of natural light. And then, of course, you see the green fluorescent and then there's yellow incandescent. And I actually have a little bit of a flash with an amber gel highlighting this man in the front. I love this mixed lighting working in, in this time of day. That's usually depends on your latitude, but it's about... Anywhere between 15 minutes to 30 minutes after the sun has gone down mm -hmm. and the sky is radiant blue. And then you can really render the artificial light so vividly you know, on your uh, film or your, your digital camera. Fabulous. So what's on the horizon? What, um, anything other than the book that uh, you're currently working on? That well, is I'm, I'm writing a book exciting? right now called A Nomadic Vision that talks quite a bit about my um, how the amalgamation of my adventures and my photography how the evolution happens no so, pictures oh of course there's pictures but <laughs> and it's very and I'm writing it's very painful I'm limiting my words so you know 2500 words per episode but certainly a lot of these images and I'm going to explain the evolution of my travel and my photography and of course talk about certain images and so people can kind of chart my progress from when I first started to up to the present with a lot of ventures, because I, I love, you know, the great expedition I did for National Geographic on the Blue Nile, and I spend time with the Kyrgyz Nomads in the Pamir Mountains. I love the long expeditions, and I unfortunately haven't been on one for a while, and that, that's got to change. But I have to finish these, um, I'm working on three different books right now, I want to get those done, and digital photography has really brought up the learning curve recently. Mm. And I travel at least six months out of the year. I, I, I'm born, I, I can't sit down, two months, I got to leave. I'm just... I'm I'm not made to stay in one place. I I my mother doesn't know where I came from. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just long enough to edit the last batch of Yeah, shots. yeah, to work day and night so I I can leave and go out and have a good time out in the world, which is where I want to be. Fabulous. Well, I've really enjoyed looking at your photographs with you. Appreciate that very much and uh, good luck on your travels and with your upcoming books. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay.